Good morning. A tank army for Ukraine. Is it war with the United States and NATO? House Intel shakeup opposed by Democrats. Smacked. A new cannabis outlet opens in New York City. And the legacy of Harriet Tubman. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Thursday, January 26th, 2023. Over the past 75 years, the publication Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has been estimating how close the world is to nuclear annihilation with its doomsday clock, showing the number of minutes to midnight. On Tuesday, the clock was set to 90 seconds to midnight, the closest ever reached. The doomsday clock had been set to 100 seconds to midnight since 2020, but moved 10 seconds closer this year, largely, but not exclusively, they say, because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The farthest the clock has been set from midnight was 17 minutes in 1991 at the end of the Cold War. We'll have more on this story, both in this newscast and later this week. President Joe Biden announced Wednesday the United States will send 31 advanced M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. The decision followed Germany's agreement to send 14 Leopard tanks from its own stock. And today, today I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine, the equivalent of one Ukrainian battalion. Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. The Abrams tanks are the most capable tanks in the world. <clears throat> They're also extremely complex to operate and maintain. So we're also giving Ukraine the parts and equipment necessary to effectively sustain these tanks on the battlefield. And we begin, we'll begin to train the Ukrainian troops on these issues of sustainment, logistics, and maintenance as soon as possible. Delivering these tanks to the field is going to take time. Time uh, that we'll see, uh, we'll use to make sure the Ukrainians are fully prepared to integrate the Abram tanks into their defenses. Speaking in a video address late Wednesday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky hailed the creation of what he described as a tank coalition. He added Ukraine will push for more weapons, including long-range missiles and aircraft. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the tanks are welcome, but the GOP would have approved the transfer even sooner. Well, I was happy to learn yesterday and this morning that indeed both the White House and their counterparts in Germany are finally moving forward with these overdue steps. Germany has announced it will supply Ukraine with an initial 14 Leopard 2 tanks, and the Biden administration is expected to send at least 30 M1 Abrams tanks as well. Good news. Now that Berlin has taken this step, I hope and expect that Germany and other European countries with tanks in their inventory will move expeditiously to send them to Ukraine. The United States has resisted providing M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine, citing extensive and complex maintenance and logistical challenges with the high-tech vehicles. Germany had at first also resisted sending its tanks, eventually allowing other countries who have almost 2,000 of the Leopard tanks to send them to Ukraine. United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says the fear is that a resupplied Russian military is preparing for a new offensive against Ukraine. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a crucial moment. Russia is regrouping, recruiting, and trying to re-equip. This is not a moment to slow down. It's a time to dig deeper. The Ukrainian people are watching us. 
The Kremlin is watching us. And history is watching us. So we won't let up. And we won't waver in our determination to help Ukraine defend itself from Russia's imperial aggression. Meanwhile, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was in South Africa, a country that stayed neutral in the war, to meet with his counterpart there. He said in his speech Russia had offered peace talks with Ukraine before the war, but the overture was rejected by the United States. Meanwhile, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told reporters today the M1 Abrams are no threat to Russia. As the president said, they don't represent an offensive threat to Russia. Do they represent a threat to Russian soldiers? You bet they do, but not to Russian soldiers that are in Ukraine, not, not, to, uh, not to Russia proper. In related news, several top Ukrainian officials were fired Tuesday. No reason was given, but the action comes in the wake of allegations of government corruption, including reports Ukraine's military was paying inflated prices for food meant for the troops. Kirby says, although regrettable, corruption is no game changer. It kind of gets to the corruption question, but not really. We just haven't seen any indications that any of the material that we have provided Ukraine isn't being stored appropriately, used appropriately, maintained appropriately, and, 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 and being fought with appropriately. We're just not seeing that, that happen. But is that a potential risk? It's always a risk in war. It's a risk when, when we fight a war. But that's why we're working so closely with the Ukrainians on accountability. And we've really increased our efforts uh, uh, through the defense attaché's office in Kyiv to work with the Ukrainians on, on accountability so that we have a better sight picture on where these things are at any given time. But it's a war, and you can't forget that. I mean, it's a war. The latest move comes with tremendous historical baggage. In 1941, Nazi Germany invaded what was then the Soviet Union. Tank battles across Ukraine were the largest ever fought. The war ended with the Red Army occupation of Berlin that lasted nearly half a century. More than 20 million died in the war. A human rights lawyer, professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law, Francis Boyle, says legally Russia and America are already at war. From a legal perspective, there is a de facto uh, state of war. So this could tip the balance. I spent a day touring around Stalingrad, which is only 460 kilometers from the uh, front lines there at Donbass, where Ukraine has had several of their neo-Nazi uh, units fighting uh, against the uh, Russian uh, speakers. And the sheer savagery of the German army in, in Stalingrad took my breath away. And there was one uh, defender there at Stalingrad who said, uh, quote, it was the German army we are fighting out there, unquote. So, you know, not just the Nazis, but, but the Germans, the German Wehrmacht. Well, that's, that's what's going to be there soon, momentarily. Um, it, it, the latest report I saw from the Telegraph, which you just read, is that Germany itself will be sending the Leopard tanks there. Um, so obviously, I think this is a... Uh, a deliberate escalation by the United States, NATO, Germany, Poland. They just had that meeting at Ramstein uh, Air Force Base uh, where the uh, Secretary of Defense was there, Lloyd Austin, and everyone was pressuring, uh, heavily pressuring uh, Germany to do this, and it, it looked like it's going to happen. 
I, I can't predict what the consequence. I can't predict what the consequences would be, but uh, you know, my guess is the Russians will will do the best they can to destroy those uh, uh, leopard tanks. Are they symbolic, or is it a game changer if they are introduced? I don't think it's a game changer, but I think it's highly symbolic and provocative on purpose to escalate the uh, to escalate the conflict here. Uh, to take it to the next stage, the next step. The coming spring offensive that people are talking about, the Russian military is under new leadership and they seem to have more professional troops at the front edge of the fight now than they did in the past, at least according to the videos I've been watching. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Uh, does that seem like uh, the possibility this... Uh, you know, I've had people saying that uh, there could be a coup. For example, there was a... In Ukraine today, you might have read, it turned out that uh, a number of of uh, military, top military officials had to resign because it turned out they were stealing food and selling it. It's a totally corrupt neo-Nazi regime. Remember, Paul, we put in power in 2014, we launched an illegal coup d'etat against a democratically elected government there in Ukraine. And from an international law perspective, what happened at that point was that the state of Ukraine, as we knew it before then, basically disintegrated. And Donbass broke out, broke off, and Crimea broke off. And that's where we are. Are you bringing up the possibility to me that German troops secretly... The Russians have already reported that there are NATO forces, combat forces on the ground today as... We speak and have been there for quite some time, yes. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, they brought the uh, doomsday clock down from 100 to 90 seconds, and I was disturbed to find that, alarmed actually, to find that they were putting the vast majority of the blame on Russia, followed by China. Paul, when I was an undergraduate at the University of Chicago where the Bulletin was founded, by the nuclear physicists who quit the uh, Manhattan Project, and I subscribed as as an undergrad in order to follow their positions on uh, nuclear arms control, disarmament, and things of this nature for many years. But if you look at the board of directors now for the Bulletin of Atomic uh, Scientists, you'll see it's been completely taken over by the U.S. uh, military-industrial complex I did drop my subscription for that reason. They said it's the closest that's ever been. We've never been in a situation this dangerous since the Cuban Missile Crisis, certainly not in my lifetime. That's what we're looking at here. Francis Boyle is a human rights lawyer and professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law. Boyle has been circulating a draft bill of impeachment against President Biden, claiming Biden is waging war without congressional approval and committing acts of aggression against Russia a friendly nation. Meanwhile, at least one erstwhile U.S. ally is taking a different route. The president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro, has refused a request by the U.S. military to donate their stock of Russian weapons to Ukraine. Petro stated, I prefer the old Russian weapons remain as scrap on Colombian land rather than give them to Ukraine. Colombia's constitution forbids the promotion of war. The news comes as Rafael Grossi, the director of the International Atomic Energy Agency, says the area near a Russian-held nuclear plant in Ukraine has been shelled. But the plant was untouched. He's calling for a safe zone to surround the critical facility. 
over the past few days, what we have seen is not direct shelling on the plant itself, but rather on the vicinity with, with uh, repeated uh, um, uh, rounds of uh, bombing, and our, ins our inspectors are hearing it in the vicinity uh, of it. So there is, the situation is, is pretty, pretty tense, as you can, of course, imagine. Once we established our permanent presence there, this is what led me to propose the establishment of a nuclear safety, a protection zone around the plant, which is, in plain English, is simply establishing an area which, like a bubble, that should be excluded from military action. The principle being, don't shoot at the plant, or, very important for Ukraine, don't use the plant to place military equipment to attack the other side. In more disconcerting news, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service says Ukraine is storing Western missile systems at three nuclear power stations. The Russians say the Ukrainians are planning to blame Russia for any explosions near the weapon storage warehouses. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Documents with classified markings were discovered in former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home last week. The revelation was made by his lawyers. It's the latest string of misplaced classified documents meant to be kept away from prying eyes. Pence's lawyers say the documents were taken by the FBI, adding they were inadvertently boxed and transported to the former Vice President's home. Meanwhile, Speaker Kevin McCarthy reiterated on Tuesday that he will block Democratic Representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell of California from serving on the House Committee that oversees national intelligence. During a heated news conference, McCarthy defended his action. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. So this has nothing to do with Santos. Santos is not on the Intel Committee. But you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public, too. So you know what? I'll respect his voters, too, and they'll serve on committees. But they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. That's the answer to your question. But Democrat Adam Schiff says McCarthy was getting vengeance against the Democrats for impeaching and investigating former President. Trump. This is Kevin McCarthy uh, once again catering to the most right-wing ailments of his conference uh, and doing the will of the former president uh, as well. Uh, he doesn't like the fact that I led the impeachment of Donald Trump for withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid from Ukraine while that nation was at war in order to essentially extort them into helping his political campaign. That's too bad. We're going to continue to hold McCarthy accountable, Trump accountable, and for him to, to mess with the Intelligence Committee this way to try to dictate the Democratic representation on the committee and not just essentially tear down the functioning of that committee, but build up a new committee on this, the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Uh, these should be seen as hand-in-hand, hand, tearing mm -hmm. down legitimate committees that are doing important national security work, building up these bogus committees that he's going to seat the right-wing crazies. And it's just a further destruction of our norms and deterioration of our democracy. In the previous Congress, Democrats booted Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona from their committee assignments for incendiary commentary that they said incited potential violence against colleagues. Both Democrats were supported by a letter from Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who wrote, there's no precedent justification for rejecting them.
McCarthy has also vowed to remove Representative Ilan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Omar was at the news conference on Tuesday. She said her removal is part of a bargain McCarthy made with GOP hardliners to become speaker. She said that required political vengeance against the three of us. If you remember in the last term when um, we removed two members uh, of of their committees, there was a precise reason Mm -hmm. for that. That was for inciting violence. Um, You remember the speech Leader Hoyer made with an image uh, of a rifle being held to my head and the head of other colleagues. We've all seen the video uh, that Representative Paul Gosar made. of killing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Speaker Pelosi, and President Biden. Many Republicans stood up and defended those members and their ability to continue to serve on committees even after they threatened the lives of their colleagues. Omar is the first Somali-American legislator in the United States. Democrats also pointed to the troubled new representative from New York, George Santos, who's been accused of misusing campaign funds and fraud, allegedly fabricating details about his personal and financial background that have become fuel for late-night comedy television. On Tuesday, Santos filed an amended financial disclosure form that showed more than half a million dollars was borrowed by his campaign from a different source than he originally claimed. At his press conference, Speaker McCarthy promised Santos would be ousted if the House Ethics Committee finds he broke the law. In local news, Tuesday morning, Smacked, the second licensed recreational cannabis dispensary, opened up near Greenwich Village. It wasn't as crowded as the opening earlier this month of the state's first shop operated by the nonprofit Housing Works. The first purchase was symbolic. Roland Connor, the owner, he bought some weed for his son Darius. Connor says he was once arrested for cannabis, and his store is an opportunity to right the wrongs. It's an example of when the government decides to fix a problem that was caused um, many years ago and they want to right that problem. It's, it's, not, it's not easy, it's not clean, but you know, when people come together passionately to fix something, um, they can actually make things happen. And um, you know, I'm a living example of that now. A lot of people who've suffered like I've suffered uh, went through what I went through and you know, are still actually going through that. And I, they made a way, they made a lane for people can go from legacy to legal. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people want to follow in those footsteps. Roland Connor is the owner of Smacked, the second licensed recreational cannabis dispensary in New York State. And finally, in 2015, President Barack Obama announced, along with other denominations, the $20 bill would be getting a major makeover. Obama said the portrait of Andrew Jackson, the seventh president, would be replaced by the former slave and abolitionist Harriet Tubman. Former President Donald Trump is an admirer of Jackson, similarly a celebrity populist. Trump had this to say about Jackson back in 2017. Had Andrew Jackson been a little bit later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was, he was a very tough person, but he had a big heart, and he was, he was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. People don't realize, you know, the Civil War, um, 
Yeah. Was, you think about it, why? People don't ask that question. But why was there the Civil War? Why could, why could that one not have been worked out? Jackson led several massacres of Indian people that were sold to the public as military victories. He was also a cruel slave owner and dueler responsible for killing a man who insulted his wife. He also forced thousands of Cherokee people to leave their homes for the infamous Trail of Tears to Oklahoma. Tubman, a black woman, escaped slavery but returned to free hundreds of fellow slaves on the Underground Railroad. During the Civil War, she led a raid in South Carolina that freed 700 slaves. After the Civil War, Tubman continued her role as a democracy activist. In a new book, historian Clarence Lusane retells Tubman's stories with an eye towards her crucial but lesser-known roles after the war. His book is titled $20 and Change, Harriet Tubman and the Ongoing Fight for Racial Justice and Democracy. In 2015, the Treasury Secretary under the administration of Obama, Obama was going into his last year, announced that there were going to be changes uh, in the images on some of the currency, the $5 bill, the $10 bill, the $20 bill. On the $20 bill, Harriet Tubman had been selected to replace Andrew Jackson. At the time, the idea was that Andrew Jackson would be put on the back of the bill, so there's still some issues around that. Secretary Liu was reflecting not only a decision made by the Obama administration, but there had been a campaign. There was a group that formed a couple of years earlier called Women on the 20. Initially, they wanted to have a woman on the $10 bill, but I uh, replaced Alexander Hamilton, but because of the play and the popularity of Hamilton, they switched to the 20. And they did a number of surveys involving thousands of people asking which woman should be put on the uh, U.S. currency on the 20. Harriet Tubman became the overwhelming consensus. So that decision was made in the last year of the Obama administration and has gone forward. Under the Trump years, there was clear reluctance by Donald Trump to support the idea, but it was pretty much already in the pipeline because the bill would probably not come out until 2029 or 2030 at the earliest, then it was basically off the table for the Trump administration. Well, does Hamilton count? They're going to put Andrew Jackson on the back of the picture? <laughs> There's a pushback against that. Some of us who have been lobbying to the current Treasury Secretary and the Treasurer that they do not have to keep Andrew Jackson on. In fact, it's kind of an insult. You would not put Anne Frank on the front of a bill and Himmler on the back. It's not clear that Andrew Jackson will still remain. There have been some mock-ups and drafts of the front of the bill, but not the back of the bill. Andrew Jackson does not have to be on the back, and I think that campaign still needs to go on. The other day I was interviewing Ward Churchill and we were talking about CRT because basically a lot of what he was fired for years ago in controversy would be considered CRT today, which is all still under fire. Right. Putting Harriet Tubman's picture is sort of CRT. It's training Americans that there's these incredible people of African descent in this country who did unbelievable things. First, let me say I love Ward Churchill's work. I've been a fan of his for decades, basically. The attacks on CRT and so-called woke culture is really kind of a rebranding of what used to be called political correctness, and that that is what animated kind of conservatives culturally 
back in the 80s and 90s. They pretty much have dropped their term, and now under people like Ron DeSantis and others, this anti-wokeness language is pretty much used to describe anything progressive, whether it's around racial justice, equality for women, LGBTQ rights, or working people for that matter. It really is a battle over what narrative will explain and drive the country, whether it's a real history with people like Harriet Tubman and her fighting for democracy, or whether it's going to be the Andrew Jackson version or DeSantis or Trump version, which erases people out of history. Tell us uh, what you address in this book besides what you've already said. I was intrigued, of course, by the proposition that Harriet Tubman would be put on the front of the $20 bill. Generally, she's seen as someone who escaped from slavery and then had the daring and courage to go back and rescue family members and others. She was involved also in the uh, Civil War. She worked as a nurse, as a cook, as a spy, and as a military leader. And that tends to be where her story sort of ends at kind of a popular level. But she was actually much more active after that period. She was involved in the women's movement. She was involved in fighting for people with disability rights, disability issues. She had a disability from the time when she was enslaved when she was struck by an object and she ended up having seizures uh, all of the rest of her life. She fought around issues for the poor, and she fought around voting rights. All of that tends to not be known about Harriet Tubman, and so part of the book is to give her a fuller rendering. Above all, she was really fighting for what I would call a genuine democracy. Clarence Lussain is author of $20 and Change, Harriet Tubman, and the Ongoing Fight for Racial Justice and Democracy. And that's the news for Thursday morning, January 26, 2023. The news was produced by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.